Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. There are several scriptures in the Bible which speak about the need to gather to hear, right? Genesis 49 says, gather you sons of Jacob and hear or, or listen. Luke 5, the crowds gathered and they heard. Deuteronomy 4.10, it says, assemble the people that they might, that they might hear. What I want to focus on today is obstructions to this process. What is the, what is the clear obstruction to the gathering process that God desires? Amen. I first want to speak, this you can see is principle 22. We've already discussed 21 principles about gathering from various portions of scripture in the past, um, the past two Friday evenings. And so I'm going to continue. This is principle 22. And it says, please follow with me in your notes, but please do not be uh, fixated by the notes. Uh, refer to it when I call you to. Okay? But just rather listen to the spirit of it. Um, Principle 22 says, a parallel satanic gathering process is focused upon opposing the purposes of God and every spiritual benefit attendant with the gathering of the sons of God. Right? Now listen carefully. The methodology for impartation, the methodology for equalization of a people is gathering to hear. I'm convinced about that. When God wants to transition a whole group of people, the prerequisite is that a forum, a structure is created where the people assemble, the sound of God's word is sounded out, and God, the people hear, faith is generated, so that a spiritual result of obedience can be achieved. So what does the enemy do? The enemy can't fight the fact that God has sent ones. right? God has sent preachers. God has those he is commissioned to declare and sound out the word of the Lord. So part of his attack, part of his ploy is this. How am I going to prevent the signs and wonders following this word? How am I going to prevent the results, God-ordained results, that should be attendant with the word? How will I, as the enemy, as Satan, abort that process? The thing that he attacks the most, because if he cannot silence the preacher, if he cannot stop the declaration, for example, Paul would pray, pray for me that I might speak as I ought, Paul said this once to one of the churches. Pray for me that I speak accurately. If he cannot attack the declaration of the word, he would attack the hearing of the word. We're on this theme for the past few Friday evenings. The accuracy or the art of listening. The capacity to hear. So the point is, you've got to hear to develop your listening skills. So his methodology of attack would be, prevent then people from coming into a context where they can hear. Because if nothing is heard, no result is achieved. Right? So, the enemy has this tactic. And I call it a parallel. Listen carefully. It's a parallel satanic agenda. He's got his own gathering process. Right? Because he knows the power of gathering. God knows the power of gathering equally. Right? But the enemy has, he, he, listen, listen, listen to how he works. He will oppose 
a divine gathering process by, instig- by initiating his own gathering process to fight that. Right? And I'll show you how he does that throughout the study. In one of the ways in which he does this is he will create um, a poor estimation of the gathering. So when the gathering is diminished in value, it's not prioritized. Right? If you value the summons to a meeting, and you know that certain things are going to trans- be transacted there that are vital to my success in life, Obviously, you'll move heaven and earth to be present. Right? You'll make structural adjustments in your timetable, your program, and you will prioritize that. You will reschedule things you would normally do simply because you value that gathering because of spiritual transactions that are going to take place in that gathering. Not so? So the enemy wants to abort divine gathering processes. He will do everything in his power to discourage the regularity of the gathering of the saints. Now, we must take the scripture seriously. If the writer of the book of Hebrews says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves as the ethos of some, as the manner of some is. In other words, it's a culture attendant with kingdom citizens that we do gather regularly to, together. Right? And in the past few uh, sessions, we, we, we explain how that for apostolic pioneering communities. This is very important. It might not be the normal elsewhere, but for us that are pushing divine purpose globally, more is expected from us than from others. Not so? Much more is expected from us than others. Now, look at your notes. Satan is aware of the power of gathering. The enemy's strength and confidence in opposing divine purpose, listen carefully, is based upon a capacity to gather in oneness. Note the quickness and the ease with which the enemy gathers to oppose divine purpose. Right? Now, the kernel of these thoughts were dropped in my heart by Alexander Chishango. I think it was two open heavens ago. He did one session and and he mentioned this. And when he mentioned it, my eyes were opened. Right? And in time now, I began to to, to meditate, study this concept, and hence we have all these principles. Right? Now listen carefully. The first example is Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, listen carefully, they gathered themselves to, together. So Jesus successfully silenced the Sadducees. The Pharisees saw this, and guess what they do? They realize, guys, we're in trouble here. How are we going to oppose the Son of God? Our first port of call is, let's regroup. Let's um, come together. Let's consolidate our, within our own ranks. Let's gather two together. I think every gathering process is a consolidation process. Every time we gather, we signal something in the Spirit that we are tight, that we are one, that we are consolidated. You see, purpose, in this case, satanic purpose against the Son of God, is only given leverage by the power of gathering. By the, by the, and it seems by the ease and the quickness, it was a spontaneous response. An urgent call was made. The Son of God is called in havoc with the Sadducees. Us Pharisees must quickly 
together. And notice what the Bible says. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Right? The, 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 the capacity of the enemy to try and abort divine purpose is given confidence. I mean, this is brazen. This is bold. This is a clash of minds. This was a test by a, a, a lawyer who asked the Son of God a question. He was only bold to do that. He was part of a gathering. He's not acting singularly. And let me just say this. The more we gather, what I believe prophetically is going to happen. We will singularly do mighty things because of the context from which we emerge. Right? And a context of oneness, a context of consolidation. How did Peter answer the accusation leveled against the early apostles? That it's only nine in the morning and you are drunk. What did he say? We are not drunk as you suppose. But this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. In the last days declares the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. This is bold Peter who just 53 days before denied the Lord when a little girl asked him, aren't you one of his? Part of the, part of the reason for his boldness, I believe, yes, was the Holy Spirit baptism. They were full with the Holy Ghost. Boldness. But also, Peter spoke from the platform of what? Who knows? The company of apostles. It says clearly, Peter stood up with the eleven and said, Your voice is given amplitude. Your voice is given authority when you speak from the context of company, not from the context of your own individuality. Hmm? Look at the second example. I haven't got the scripture. I actually forgot to put the scripture in here. I just realized when I was printing this this early this morning. Gathering gives people leverage and corporate strength, either for evil or for good intent. You know this. Remember Absalom? Where did Absalom launch his attack against David from? From Hebron. Hebron means a place of alliance, a place of joining, union, oneness. Absalom realized, if I'm to attack and um, try and plan this coup against my father, I will do it from the right context. I'll go to Hebron. And what does the Bible, you know how Absalom deceived uh, men of his day, right? And the Bible says these were men of integrity. And they did not know what Absalom, Absalom's hidden agenda was. But he does it not from Bethsaida, not from Bethel, doesn't go to Jericho to plan. Where does he go to plan the attack? And to consolidate his, his strategy, he goes to a place that depicts oneness. Right? Gathering always gives you powerful spiritual leverage. Always. Please hear the cry of the heart of the Father. God wants momentum. God wants greater leverage. Our leverage right now is poorly compromised simply because of our weakness in gathering. Our, our leverage, our spiritual muscle, so to speak, has got to go to the next level. The enemy realizes this, but God's people are indifferent to it. Okay? Look at the third example. Matthew 2, verse 1 to 4. Now after the Jews, sorry, after Jesus was born, 
In Bethlehem of Judah, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to? We have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And what does Herod do? Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. I'm amazed. Well, obviously Herod is the king, but there's a speed with which he gathers the chief priests and the scribes to inquire and to get knowledge as to where exactly the Christ would be born. His intent was evil, right? Obviously to kill him, right? But his capacity to gather, listen carefully how, how Satan thinks, the quickness and the ease with which Herod, you know the word Herod means hero. Some people want to appear heroic in terms of their opposition to divine purpose. Right? We see this against the apostolic prophetic globally. Right? And I see it wherever I travel. I'm speaking to you on a macro level now. Please listen. Because some of you are not exposed to the broadness of the kingdom as I am simply by virtue through to travel. You see the big picture. And you see when you go to certain places geographically, concerted attempts by the enemy under some ministers in a particular region to oppose the agenda of God and they're appearing heroic in the eyes of others. And I'm amazed how easy, I'm amazed how easy guys to oppose the purposes of the Lord. Right? And yet there's not a commensurate or even greater ease with which we gather. We which have divine purpose. We which have a mandate to fulfill. Amen? So I want to encourage you. You see, the enemy knows this power. I've been trying for 21 principles now. We taught 21 principles of gathering. Now we're looking at the flip side. The view from the domain of darkness. The view from the domain of hell. How does hell perceive this? Hell perceives it, oh, they are weak, but we'll intensify ours. Right? And we'll oppose every divine purpose that they put their minds to. Right? But that's going to break in Jesus' name. Amen? That culture is going to is going to Acts 4 verse 26 says, The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and His Christ. Notice. Rulers of the earth, and they, 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 they have this ease of gathering together to oppose the Lord and His Christ. I want to read what I wrote in the next paragraph, because I don't think I can say it like I wrote it there. I think this was a divine moment of inspiration. Please listen with the ear of your spirit. There is a strong Holy Spirit-initiated process of unity and oneness afoot. Contraflow to this, opposite to this, is a satanically induced scattering process. The deliberate surge ahead for gathering in unity must be more powerful and forceful than the conscious attempts of the enemy to instigate a disesteem for oneness. The momentum of gathering as one man must be stronger than the plot to scatter. Scattering erodes the power of our corporate oneness. Now, please listen to me. The opposite of a gathering, divinely initiated gathering process, 
is a divinely initiated satanic scattering process. God wants to gather, the enemy wants to scatter, right? And I will show you shortly how that you cannot remain neutral as to these two positions, right? These two positions. Look at the fourth example, Judges 6. All the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east assembled themselves. King James says they gathered themselves. And they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon, I like this, Gideon, and he blew a, he blew a trumpet. And the Abyssalites were called together to follow, to follow him. Not so. That's powerful here. Listen carefully. Gideon is fighting an enemy, essentially the Midianites. But it says the Amalekites joined the Midianites to oppose him. And the Amalekites and Midianites historically had issues. But the enemy was willing to put their issues aside to consolidate, to gather against a divinely initiated divine process. Right? And yet the church today, both in its microcosm, in a local church, and also in a city or across networks and clusters of family, we cannot put our differences aside to accomplish divine purpose. When there's a divine purpose ahead of you, you've you got to set aside personal issues. Right? The, the tactic of the enemy, and he knows the power of gathering. The tactic of the enemy is we, we can easily, even though we are, we are opposing all divine purposes in our individual pockets or streams, we can easily consolidate when there's vested interests common to us all. Right? You know that even enemies, if they have a common goal, even enemies can group together. Hmm? Two people don't like you, but they don't like each other. Guess what? If they find there's an agenda against you, they'll start liking each other to hate you more. They'll put aside their own little, little squabble, squabble to consolidate, to oppose, to intensify an opposition. Right? But we in the church don't know this principle. I want to encourage you. I want, to, I want to urge, cajole you. Let us consolidate. Tell you never come together. Come together. I like, what, I like what, how Gideon responds. The Bible says he simply blows a trumpet. Remember on Friday I quoted the scripture how Nehemiah on the wall. The families were positioned at different parts of the wall. And what the enemy would do is he would attack the weakest part. And Nehemiah learned a principle. He would blow a trumpet and he made the statement, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Come, rally to us there and our God will fight for us. Similarly here, the enemy's close ranks on Gideon. He somewhat takes a trumpet, which is depictive of a prophetic declaration of redemption, a sound, an urgent sound, an emergency. And the scripture says, I like this, the Abizrites. Everyone say Abizrites. The Abizrites were called together. Tell your neighbor, I'm an Abizrite. Abizrite, the word simply means, you must study this, this grouping. A lovely study. I, I, I need to do it. When I double clicked on this, you must study the Abizrites in Scripture. The, the meaning of the name is Father of Helps. I like that. Or my Father will, will help. Right? They come to assist in a fathering grace, 
They come to, I, I, I just think, the fathering grace in this clan or family, this particular group, respond to Gideon. The fathering anointing comes to, to abort any satanic attempt. Amen? Tell your neighbor, be fatherly. I want to encourage you, you hear, if you hear your one brother in the same local church is not talking to the other brother, don't fuel the fire by adding your two cent piece and adding your view. Your position is, I'm a diffuser. I'm a reconciler. I'm a father of helps. I have a fathering grace upon me that seeks to unite brothers and diffuse tensions. Okay? I have a fathering grace. Uh, example five. Let's go quickly. I'm trying to go as fast as I can. Tell your neighbor, put your seatbelt on. Right? I'm going to start flying now. Right? In this church, you must assimilate very, very quickly. Right? Catch the principle, put it into practice. Joshua 9, verse 1 and 2. It came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and in the coast and in the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittite, look, look at all his enemies, eh? The Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hevite, the Jebusite, heard of it. And they gathered themselves with one accord to fight with Joshua and Israel. Here's another example of how the enemy puts their differences aside simply to oppose divine purpose. David in the Psalm says, Psalm 35, 15, At my stumbling they rejoiced, and they gathered themselves together. Do you rejoice over someone's falling? When, you, when someone fails, do you gather to talk and to discuss and you rejoice over the, the bad point? If that is so, you do not have the Spirit of God. I'll tell you from Scripture, the, you are void of the Spirit of God. Right? The Spirit of God is always reconciliatory. Not so? And uh, David said there are some guys that when they, they rejoice, when I fall... My falling prompts them to gather. They're not gathered up to this point. I mean, it's human nature, not so. People do not talk to each other. Some minister falls. They're on the phone. They're on the email. Did you hear? Suddenly you're talking to someone you never ever spoke to at the topic of someone's failing. Right? Now that's what the enemy does. That must not be. What I'm saying to us, our any gathering Principle in this house must be gathered around the right motivations. Amen? If you are going to gather, gather to discuss how are we going to redeem if someone has fallen. If you are going to discuss, gather, how are we going to help? Don't further in. Don't, listen carefully, you're either part of a divine gathering process or you are part of a satanic gathering process. There, like I said, there's no neutrality on this issue. So don't gather for the wrong reasons. Okay? Go over to the next page. Non-commitment to gather equates to scattering. Matthew 12. Let's read this together. Follow with me. You all got notes. Marian doesn't have notes. Is there a spare anything? Anyway. Verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. I like that verse. There's some other principles in there. but It will digress us if we start talking about that. All the crowds were amazed and saying, This man 
cannot be the son of David, can he? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, now check this accusation out against Jesus. Jesus is casting out demons and the Pharisees accuse him like this. Pharisees say to him, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, will not stand. Any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? I mean, Jesus is casting out demons. They say, hey, you, you cast out demons by the power of demons, the ruler of, Be, uh, uh, by the power of Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Jesus says, stupid Pharisees, stupid reasoning. How can Satan cast Satan out? How can one kingdom be divided against its own agenda? So it's impossible, right? And he carries on talking. He says, if I by Beelzebub cast out demons... By whom do your sons cast them out? Hmm? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house, carry off his property, unless he first binds the strong man? And he will plunder his house. And he makes a statement in the midst of all of this. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven of people. But blasphemy against the Spirit shall, shall not be forgiven. Now I don't want to talk what exactly is blasphemy against the Spirit. It's another topic. But contextually, you have to understand that phrase in the context of what Jesus was, was, was speaking about. They, they, they attempt to attribute to the work of of the devil, what was the work of the Spirit? Right? They attempt to tribute to the work of Satan what was an initiative of the Spirit. Jesus is saying, how foolish can you be to reason that if I am casting out demons by Beelzebub, the rule of the demons, how can I cast out a demon? Because Satan will never cast himself out. Hmm? And if he does that, his house will not his house will not stand. No, no city then or house divided against itself will not stand. He who does not gather with me is actually involved in, in, in scattering. Right? Now, both the terms gathering and scattering contextually are spoken of here within the context of a house divided against itself. The house is either, and the issue is, fulfilling purpose. Satan will not fight against his own purpose, neither will God fight against his own initiatives. Right? But the greatest threat sometimes to doing the will of God can come from within the house. If that house is not consolidated, is not assembled, is not gathered, and if, listen carefully, I say this respectfully to us all, if it is not, if the gathering process is not entrenched, Subconsciously, you're supporting the scattering process. Hmm? I say that very clearly. If the gathering process is not entrenched, subconsciously, you're giving tacit approval, tacit fuel. It might not be deliberate, but subconsciously, you are accentuating the gathering process. 
attendant with the enemy. There can be no neutral ground. Look at the last paragraph right at the bottom of that page. He who does not gather scatters. There is no neutral ground on this issue. Listen carefully. A non-commitment and spiritual indifference to gathering of and with the saints equates to a subconscious support of the scattering intent of the enemy. Now please get that into your spirit. That's frightening. I was scared when I wrote it. I said, God, I don't want to support subconsciously a, a scattering initiative of the enemy. Right? Now, we have to endeavor to keep the unity of the, of the faith. Paul said this in Ephesians 4.3. Right? Endeavor to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of, of peace. Check how other versions of the scripture frame this. Just see this. Matthew 12, verse 20. This is war. There is no neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you are the enemy. If you're not helping, you're making things worse. The Bible in basic English says, Whoever is not with me is against me. He who does not take part with me in people, getting people together is driving them away. The uh, contemporary English version. If you're not on my side, you're against me. If you don't gather in the harvest with me, you scatter it. The English Revised Version says, Whoever is not with me is against me. Anyone who does not work with me is working uh, against me. And the, the, the New Living Translation says something equally similar. Look at Jude 1 verse 19. These are the ones who cause divisions. Worldly minded, that's what I said, devoid of the spirit. If you are a divisive, schismatic person, and your intent is either discourage the brothers from coming, or divisive in terms of your relationships. Because there are two ways you abort a gathering process. Either by people not actually gathering, or those who do gather, gather with tense relationships. Either way, the gathering loses heat, loses power. Right? So I want to encourage the house. We must not be divisive, must not be schismatic. If you are, you do not have the Spirit of God. You are devoid of the Spirit of God. I would dare say you need to get saved. By this we know we have the Spirit. By this we know that He dwells in us. John says something like this, because we love the brothers. What Ricardo said, because we love. These things are acid tests to measure our salvation. Test yourself whether you be in the faith. Examine yourself. Paul did not write that to the world. That verse is written to a church. Paul said to believers, check yourself whether you are in the kingdom or check yourself whether you are out of the kingdom. I am convinced more than ever before, not everyone who attends church on a Sunday morning is in the kingdom. And you're going to be highly discerning. That is why now I will not make any undue expectation on some, right? Um, because we, we cannot foster desire that is not um, part of a particular citizenry. If you're a kingdom citizen, certain desires will be attendant with your status as a citizen of the kingdom. If you're not a citizen of a particular domain, we cannot impose certain things upon you. Right? The natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit. Okay? So that is, the, that is the position. What I want to focus on very quickly Right? We've done this before, but I felt the Lord saying, rehearse it, as I was preparing this in the week. Listen carefully. 
want to discuss with you quickly the fourfold response to a satanic scattering process. Fourfold. We've had this verse. It's Nahum chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. Nahum 2 verse 1 and 2. The one who scatters, that's the enemy, the one who scatters has come up against you. Four things you must do. Man the fortress, watch the road, strengthen your back, summon all of your Summon all of your strength. For the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob, like the splendor of Israel. Even though devastators have devastated them and destroyed their branches. Look at the Lord's prophecy here. Even though there's been devastation, scattering. Seems like the enemy is working. The promise is, God says, I will restore. The restoration process is dependent upon a particular fourfold initiative by those to whom a scattering satanic process is leveled. So, the verse starts, he who scatters is coming up against you. Your response must be fourfold. Man the fortress, watch the road, strengthen your back, summons all of your strength. Look at the first one. Everyone say, man the fortress. Someone said like you're manning. Man the fortress. It's like, I can just see, you know, a fortress is a walled city, usually, and they got ramparts where guards, or watchtowers where guards are posted, and they look out for an enemy attack. So God says, man the fortress, man the fortress. The Hebrew word for man, as it indicates there, simply means to guard or to protect. But please circle the word obey, literally, nasta, natsa, the Hebrew word natsa, Yes, it does mean man the fortress, be on the lookout, watch God, but it simply means obey. Everyone say obedience. Let me just say this to us. Listen carefully why I'm dealing with this prophetically. I foresee that in the next five, ten years, there's much of a, of a heightened, more profound, weighty purpose that God's going to level on the congregation. To steward these things, we have to have a certain culture in place. To steward what God's going to give us. We have to have a certain mindset and disposition. A certain ethos within our times of gathering together. That get, that those times of gathering is a word centricity. Word focused. Word centered. The word is the absolute center of all that we do. The enemy will want to abort that obviously. As we discuss each of these responses to scattering. Please note. It's not just a, the response to scattering that we're discussing. These very things should be attendant with the gathering process normally. It is what normally takes place that will not give the scattering endeavor of the enemy a chance to succeed. In this season, our culture is our biggest offensive weapon. We don't do spiritual warfare like we did in the past. We have apostolic doctrine, fellowship, breaking of prayers and prayers. Our culture itself is our weapon against the enemy. All of these four things break culture. So when, the, when God says, he's coming, when he says, respond to it, it's not simply a reaction. He's really saying, simply entrench the culture of what you know. Man, the fortress is... Heighten and sharpen your obedience. The word fortress in the Greek, in the Hebrew, sorry I forgot to put the Hebrew word in, but it simply means a hemming. Um, when you hem things in, you consolidate, not so? You, you fortify. 
So God is saying, fortify your obedience. Sharpen your obedience. Everyone say obedience. I want to encourage you. Please don't be disobedient to the Lord in whatever the Lord is calling you to do in this season. Sharpen it. Heighten. Hem it. Consolidate your obedience in the season. I was blessed by the word that Renee shared on, on one of the word thoughts, the letter to the church at Philadelphia, right? Remember in the week it was shared. That verse says this, if I remember it correctly, something about the letter to the church at Philadelphia. It says, you have little strength, but you have kept my word. And therefore God says in that same context, I open a door for you that no man can shut. I, uh, I, I, doors closed no man can open. Behold, I set before you an open door. The open door of the Lord is within the context of you've, you, you're in the midst of trial. You're going through stuff. Hence, you have little strength. But in all of that, you've still kept my word. To those, God says, I give you an open door. In the, the heat of your greatest testings, you still press through. Tell your neighbor there's an open door for us. I said this prophetically, there's an open door for us. Because we've been through much, but we've been diligent. We've been faithful on many levels, pushing through, sounding out the word. And God says, little strength, but you've kept my word. I set before you an open door that no man will be able to touch. And a few verses down, God actually calls it, you've kept the word of my perseverance. You've kept the word of my patience. Hmm? Some of you think your patience has reached its end. <laughs> you got much more than you think. Tell your neighbor you can endure much more. Should you can endure much more. God knows how much you can take. Little strength, but you've been consistent. Little strength, but you've been obedient. Little strength, but you've been faithful. I set before you an open door. Intensify your obedience. But also, right at the bottom of the last paragraph, I put something to the effect that man the fortress literally means put the guys on, the, on their stations. Put them in their positions. Put them in their posts. Activate functionality in the house. And I really want to encourage us. There's much to do in the coming seasons. And I want to encourage you, more than just coming, find something, a responsibility to do in the house. Man the fortress. Take charge of something that will possibly relieve me of a concern. Right? Or help in a particular area. If you see a need, I'll, I'll fill the gap. Tell your neighbor, man the fortress. Turn over the page. I just put the, the, the graphics. Remember Matthew did his graphics for us some time back. Man the fortress, sharpened obedience. Other versions of the scripture frame this command as follows. I like the King James there. It says, keep the munition. Keep the munition, the ammunition, the ammo. Guard the fortress, man the ramparts, keep the bulwark. Right? Secondly, tell your neighbor, watch the road. Right? Watch. Look at me. Watch means like this, like the Hebrew word suggests there, to lean forward as like you, you're peering over, almost toppling, toppling over. You're peering over to lean and to look into, to peer into. 
to lean forward. Right? So it speaks about sightedness or perspective for the long term. Right? Looking into. That's what it basically means. Right? But listen carefully. It also means to observe and, and wait. So if the Bible says, watch the road. The road is Derek. That's why I like the word, the name Derek. Spelled D-E-R-E-C-K. From the Hebrew Derek, which means lifestyle. Road here literally means lifestyle. It means a mode of action. It means moral character. Also alludes to die, to direction. Peer into your lifestyle. Do some keener introspection into the quality of your life, yes, but your lifestyle. Are you living according to kingdom values and kingdom expectations? Listen carefully. This is a season for spiritual audit. I want to say it again. Husbands, hear me. Do an audit on your marriages. Audit the expenditure of your finances. Audit how successful are you, are you as a family in terms of the levels of your obedience, the pursuit of your purpose. When you do an audit, do you know when you do audits, everything stops? At times of audit, it's usually not business as normal. It's time for, let's assess what we've done, block any loopholes, any inconsistencies, etc. Let's tighten up so that in the next year ahead, we are far more efficient, far more compliant, etc., etc. Not so? And I want to encourage us all. I'm doing a fast soon, extended fast. Right? And part of my goal is, I want to audit my life. I'm saying, God, I want to bring rectitude to every single area. Right? When the enemy looks at me, he must say, like Jesus said, the enemy of the prince of this world has come, but he has nothing in me. Right? That, I want to watch my road. Right? Watch the road. Do you know, a lot, this, this might not be the case with some of you here. But I know many, many, many times when things are all right and, and they go wrong, go wrong in your life and you're not willing to address them, guess what? You will, pre, you will avoid the gathering. Because in the context of light, things are exposed. In the context of this community, things will be revealed. Right? But you can easily come with transparency to the community of light. There's a verse that says something like, He who has nothing to hide can, his deeds are, are made manifest by the light. By the light. Right? Nothing to hide. Even if there are freckles and frikies, even if there are issues, you come with the idea of, I'm struggling in an area, but I know, listen carefully, my greatest help is in the gathering. If I stay where I am with my issue, I'm going to digress. Rather, I come with my issues to the gathering knowing I'm far, there's a greater propensity, possibility to rectifying it there than if I stay away. Okay? So tell your neighbor, watch the road. Now, number three, strengthen your back. Strength, chazak, I like this word. This is one of my most favorite Hebrew words. If you ever ask me, what is Randolph's favorite Hebrew word? Chazak! Chazak means strengthen. It's like a command. Right? Chazak. Say it with me. Chazak. Come on, say it like you're chazaking. <laughs> chazak. That's strengthen. Don't be a weakling. 
strengthen your back. Chazak. It literally means to fasten upon. To seize. I like this. To be strong and to be To be strong and to be courageous. Back is interesting. The Hebrew word moten literally means to be slender. And uh, some of you all take this the wrong way. (laughs) To be slender. It literally means, listen, properly. Quintessentially the meaning is the waist or the small of the back. It's also translated loins. Now you can draw many prophetic references and implications of this meaning. I want to focus on loins. Loins, loins, Paul said, gird up your loins. Your loins refer to your reproductive part of you, right? Parts of your body that you use for reproduction. It speaks of the ability to procreate and to produce, right? So it says, chazak, strengthen your capacity to be fertile. Strengthen your ability to produce something. Strengthen your capacity to bring forth something. For our house, I would like to think the thing we are bringing forth is sons. You birth things. You birth sons are born to David at Hebron, it says. Right? And so, my, my role, listen carefully, that is why I'm undeterred. That is why literally in our home, from a quarter to six, here's my sons and my wife as on a Friday evening, we are ready poised to come. Why? There's a focus, there's a zeal, there's an absolute determination. To come to the gathering. Why? My focus is, I know the enemy would scatter, but I'm undeterred by his attempts. I will focus on, for those that are are coming to attend, I will speak word with the ultimate intent of developing strong sonship. Because, let me just say this, sonship will only be developed by the impartation of grace. No other way. Grace is only imparted to you when you hear the the word of the Lord. It's the only way grace is imparted to you. Say it with me. Chazak. I like the meaning of courage. I don't want anyone to be discouraged. Discouragement is one of the most terrible feelings on the planet. Discourage is the absence of courage. When you are discouraged, you will not take risks. You know the men of, who was the, the Gadites, one of David's, Groups, the Gadites, the Bible says, were like gazelles on the mountaintops. These guys were fierce warriors. They were like jumping gazelles on mountaintops. Right? They were focused. I think it was them who crossed the Jordan in the height of its flood. Crossed a river, potentially threatening their life. They didn't regard the threat. The purpose was so strong, courage rose up. They pursued, not allowing themselves to let externalities discourage them. When you have no courage, you have no faith. When you've lost courage, you've lost the element of risk. You'll stay in the safe zone. You'll stay in that place where the, or your comfort zone. you not dare to venture out. Strengthen your capacity to have courage. Where is courage derived? Let me just say, you are more encouraged when you come to the gathering. There's a fuel of faith. That is derived from the sound of the word of the Lord. Every time, I'm, I'm not joking, every time I, I gather under Thamos' voice at POAs, twice a month now, at schools, the biannual schools, 
I, I come away like feeling like I can do anything. I feel like there's nothing impossible to me. Right? Those, it's important to maintain your, your development of courage. Turn over your page. Look at other versions. Towards the center of that page. Other versions of this command. King James says, make your loins strong. I like the English Standard Version. Who does not have an English Standard Version? I'm beginning to like this version very much recently in my studying. It's, the, it, it's a recent version. I think it's not what, what year it came out, but very recent. But it's, it's the new, it's what is taking the, the, the place of the King James Version of the Bible. Right? Same scholarly appeal and focus that that was written, was written in terms of the ESV. And this one says, dress for battle. Tell your neighbor, dress for battle. Curl your loins. Strengthen your flanks. Brace yourselves. How, how do you brace yourself? Who can demonstrate what it is to brace yourself? Let's say you, you brace, you're walking and there's a threat of danger. How do you brace yourself? Right? I mean, someone is, is charging at you with a panga. Charging at you. You walking down west, he said, no problem, come bro, let's see what you can do. And you're standing like this, let's see. How's it? <laughs> no, what do you do? If there's nowhere to run, you're going to have to confront, let's say. What do you do? You, you brace, you anchor your feet, you prepare for battle, right? Your bracing is almost intimidating also to your enemy. The animal kingdom does this. Like the peacock. That brilliant... All his brilliance of colors is not so much for, for flamboyance. That is more a defense mechanism. Someone attacks it, just opens up, and then the would-be predator thinks, hey, this is a massive, and it quickly. Hmm? I want to encourage you. I just sense this house in the spirit needs to brace itself. You need to do this in the spirit. You need to strengthen your back. I did that literally in the gym yesterday because the bruise meeting is coming up on, on, when, on Saturday. And we're going to run around the soccer pitch. So I need to strengthen my back. Number four, summon all of your strength. I like the image of the lion here. Summon all of your strength. It means to be alert, to confirm, to be courageous, to be stout, strong, bold, and alert. Now, your strength is harnessed, yes, privately, individually. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord when he was all alone. That's fine. That has a place. But really your, your, your strength comes from the, the gathering together with your fellow brothers and, and sisters. Can we put this echo on? With your fellow brothers and, and sisters. I wrote there, the word summon suggests vigilance, alertness that engenders boldness. When you summon, it's like you recruit to yourself any bit of strength you can muster up. Summon all of your strength. Collect. Another nice word is collect. Everyone say collect. In fact, you see at the bottom there, other versions of the scripture. The ESV says, actually, collect your strength. Find it anywhere you can and pull it to yourself. Make yourself in this season stronger than you've ever been before. Ask your neighbor, are you strong? 
Come on, ask somebody, are you strong? Please note, this is a prophetic word for this house. I don't know, listen to me carefully. I don't know what's going to happen the rest of this year. I'm not sure what battles we will face individually and corporately next year. All I know is this is a, a word from God saying to the house, this house better take strategic action for where you are going. You better man the fortress. You better watch the road. You better strengthen your back. And you must not wait for the assault to start summoning your strength. You better summon your strength while you are relatively strong. Don't wait to be weak to try and grasp for where can I collect strength. While you are relatively strong. You know the principle of growth? I always say this. You go from strength to strength, the Bible says. You don't go from, grow from weakness to strength. It says we, they go, Psalm 84 I'm quoting, it says, they go from strength to strength, each one, until they appear before God in Zion. If you go from weakness to strength, that's not growth. Weakness to strength is restoration. Strength to strength is sure growth. And I appeal to all of us, I'm going to say this again, as the word of the Lord to you this morning. While you are relatively strong, and while there is still flickering embers, your fire has not completely gone out, while there is still the hope of even a spark, light up the fire again, while you can. For the days are coming when he who is going to scatter will come up against you, and you're going to have to be the strongest that you've ever been in your life. I say that again. This might sound um, pessimistic, but it's not. It's empowering. Some of us are going to face the worst attack, either maybe in your business, at work, in your private relationships with some people, in, on, a, on an individual level. Us corporately, I believe, are going to face some of the worst attacks we've ever faced corporately. And we cannot, when the attack happens, we cannot then wake up and say, we are unprepared for this assault. When the assault comes, we can say, no, by virtue of our commitment to the gathering process, check our fortresses, all manned. Check our roads, all watched. Check our backs, all strong. See our strength, all summoned, collected. We are ready for the fight. Bring the battle on. Who loves Muhammad Ali? Or loved. Maybe you still love him. <laughs> Growing up as a young man, I used to idolize him. I never loved boxing as a sport per se. But I just love his, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I just love his way. Like the Bruce Lee tactic. You know, Bruce Lee, all these kung fu guys got these. Um, I don't know what crane style and all that. Hey, just calm, huh? You know, he goes, oh, what? <laughs> No, where the punch is coming from? Cool car. Why? Prepared for the battle, unfazed, even by the threats of the enemy. They say Muhammad Ali won all his fights even before the fight started. He knew he was going to win before the first bell went. And he voiced it. He made his opponents know very well what's going to happen to them. <laughs> okay. I want to encourage us. Please, brethren, hear the cry of my heart. We're going to fight a new battle. That's going to literally 
cause us to go to the next level in God. I don't want to lose the next fight. Let me just say this. When we first released this caution to the house, remember? These four principles. We did have an attack almost immediately afterwards that rocked our boat. That literally led us, and we were not prepared for it. By virtue of the fact, we did not entrench and took the warning seriously enough. And I'm saying, let it not happen again. Let it not happen again. Every single thing I've declared to you this morning is vitally, vitally important. These words must be, must be, must be heeded. Amen? So strengthen your, your back. I like the other versions. Marshal your strength. Fortify your power. Collect your strength. Prepare for, prepare for battle. Prepare for battle. Look at the next principle, principle 24. We'll just do another 15 minutes and we'll stop. I like this because it's very important. Building speed must outweigh and outpace breaking activity. Look at Isaiah 49. Verse 13. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted His people... And will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. And the Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? And have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Tell your neighbor that's for you. You're not forgotten. God has remembered you. Behold, I've inscribed you in the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Here's the verse I want to leave with you. Your builders hurry, your, dev- your destroyers and your devastators will depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All of them gather together. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you will surely put on all of them as jewels and bind them as a bride. Love this portion. There's a contrast between two groups of people here. Yeah? The one are builders and the other are breakers. Why do the devastators or the breakers not succeed? The only reason in this verse why the breakers, the scatterers, the devastators do not succeed is because the building activity far outweighs and outpaces the breaking activity. Everyone say hurry. It says your builders... Hurry, if the builders hurry, the destroyers depart. Please get it, catch this revelation. How do you, when the enemy comes to scatter, how will the devastating process of a satanically engineered assault against you, your business, your family, the church, how do you neutralize that? Besides the four things we discussed. Simply, the principle is, hurry. The building process. Hurry. Are you a builder? By now you should know what I'm referring to. Build, bana, son. Sons build the house. Who's a builder? Let me see your hands. Are you a builder in the house? Listen carefully. It says, the builders must hurry so that the devastators depart. The word hurry, look at carefully in, in the Hebrew. Maha. Tell your neighbor maha. You must maha. Hmm? 
to be liquid. I like this. Be liquid. Flow easily. I like this meanings. Be liquid. Flow easily. Hurry. Often used with promptly. Be prompt. Be quick. Right? Shake the laziness off you. Shake the lethargy. Shake the carte blanche. Shake the casual attitude. Summon your strength. Please let me reiterate. Listen carefully. I said to you earlier, there is a concerted. Concerted means deliberate and intense. There's a concerted satanic agenda against you. What is the enemy? The enemy wants to keep you out of the range of the sound of word. Whatever he can do to, keep, to do that, to keep you out of that, he, will, he would have succeeded in not letting the word have its total effect. Paul at Ephesus, we discussed this three or four weeks ago, Paul at Ephesus affected the whole region. Why? For two solid years there was a sounding out and the hearing of God's word. What would be the result if the, if the same was, was true for us, for us here? Okay? Now, let's look at, go to the next page because of time. I won't look at the, that principle. You can read the apostolic principle in baskets. It's very important. That's principle 25, gathering of various apostolic streams in the, in the last day. Because of time, I want to go to verse principle 26. Isolation, that is being out of the range of God speaking, is dangerous. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Do you know that in the multitude of counselors there is? There is wisdom. In the multitude of counselors there is wisdom. The Amplified Bible says, He who willfully separates and estranges himself from God and man seeks his own desire. In other words, you've got your own mission, your own agenda. And a pretext, you want an excuse to break out against all wise and sound judgment. So if you withdraw yourself, what the scripture is saying is, you're actually working against all sound judgment and your iso deliberate isolation you want to use as an excuse to break out in error or to break out in all disobedience or you want to break out against all sound judgment. The BBE version says, he who keeps himself separate for his private purpose goes against all good, goes against all good sense. It's very important that we understand the danger of being isolated. Right? You need to hear the word through the vessel sent to speak to you. Now let me close the last five minutes with principle 27. It's the last one. I want to read this. The principle is simply this. Excessive activity, anxiety and worry can be a distraction from hearing God's word at the feet of the one sent to speak God's word to you. Luke 10. Let's just read this and we'll close. Hear, hear the caution of the Lord in these verses. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Everyone say, this is a house. This obviously is a domestic dwelling, but we're going to interpret it prophetically to mean a household of faith. Right? So in the household of faith, there is the presence of Jesus. The presence of the Lord is always attendant 
with the house of the Lord. Genesis 28, he got up and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. Jacob, when he had the dream, he called the name of the place Bethel, the house of God. The presence of God is always in the house of God, where two or three are gathered in my nature, in my name, in, according to my function, I will be there. So we got Jesus in a house, presence in a house. For us, he was there privately on a visit. But for us, by interpretation, we want his presence because we've gathered. Where two or three have gathered, I am there. Right? And I'm going a bit fast because of time. Next verse. She had a sister called Mary, which was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Notice the primary activity of the house is what? Listening to his word. Where is she positioned? Everyone say at his feet. Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Right? And she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to, tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, twice called her name, Martha, Martha, indicating deep concern for her. Martha, Martha, you are worried and you are bothered about so many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken uh, taken away from her. Go on to the bottom of the page which is Mary sat at his feet. I want to rehearse something from session 7. Remember we had this verse, Romans 10, 15. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So please just give you attention here. Beautiful feet is a reference to the one who is sent to you to preach the word to you. Also, if you turn the page, or on the same page, beautiful in the Greek is eroios, which means belonging to the right hour or season. Everyone say timely. So it's a timely, now proceeding, relevant word. Not everyone, let me just say this carefully, not everyone who preaches has got beautiful feet. The preacher, the feet of the preacher is beautiful. Only if that word is relevant to the season that God is emphasizing at that time or to the group that he's talking to. It makes his feet beautiful. It's not only timely. There are two nuances of this word you can see there. Look at it. It says, by implication, flourishing. Right? Beauteous. Beautiful. Right? So it's a word that is relevant that causes productivity or success, fertility. There are signs and wonders. Things are happening in your life. Right? So, think about this. Was Mary sitting at beautiful feet? Yes. Where did she sit? She sat at the feet of him who spoke a timely word. And I love what the Bible says, listening to his word. Picture the scene. She probably was in the lounge. Martha probably in the kitchen. Martha, the Bible says, was cumbered and bothered. Two things. Cumbered, worried and bothered. By many, many preparations. And you would think, when Mary's uh, complaint is, my sister has left me to serve alone. She thought Jesus would take her side. Who's doing all the running around here? 
Even the serving is poised towards Jesus. Sometimes your service for God can be the greatest distraction to the main activity. Ask your neighbor, what are you busy with? There's all sorts of reasons why we can't sit at the feet of him who has beautiful feet. Some are legitimate and some are just downright excuses. And I say to you, whose name can I use? Amuse Jules. She won't blackslide. <laughs> I'm just joking. Julene. Julene. Call the name twice. Martha. Martha. Just, just try this on the person next to you. And you be like, just as I was going first, but be like the Lord. I can just hear the Lord saying, Martha. Martha. <laughs> can you hear the care and the concern of the Lord? He's saying, Martha, Martha, you are cumbered by so many things. Go to the next page, quickly. You are distracted by so many things. Point A, Martha was distracted by excessive serving. The serving probably had to have been done. But that which was a seemingly, listen carefully, that which was a seemingly legitimate activity was appraised by Jesus as a distraction. Your, your reason might be legitimate, but it might just be the greatest distraction you've ever had to hearing something God wants you to hear. Right? Preparation, serving had to have been done. But listen carefully, not because the reason is legitimate, does it make it timelessly accurate? Martha misunderstood the accuracy or the, of, a, of, of spiritual timing of a particular spiritual activity. It, I mean, it's not sin. She was, is she sinning here? No, she's probably making the tea for Jesus. She's probably baking the cake for Jesus. The serving was poised towards him, but at that specific point in time, it was an inaccurate activity. She thought Jesus would take a part. But she says, no, 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 no. Mary has chosen what he called the better part. Tell your neighbor there's a better part. He has chosen the, the better part. And notice point B. Okay, I'm missing over much because of time, but read it um, when you get home. Point B. Martha was worried and troubled. Look at these two words. And let me just say this prophetically. Please listen to me very carefully now. I want to say this seriously. I sense in many of our people here locally, you are, two things are happening with you. Worry and trouble. Worry and trouble keep you out away from the feet. Why wasn't she at the feet? Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried. Look at the heat. The Greek is merim nea. It means to be anxious, troubled with cares. Do you remember the seed that fell amongst the thorns? Remember the seed, the petal of the sower? How did Jesus interpret that? The seed that fell amongst the thorns, he says, are the cares of this life. They grow up and they do what to the word? They choke the word. I want to encourage you. I mean, we all have needs. We have massive needs right now. But are we complaining? If ever God talked, taught me this year is to walk with dignity through your trial i've learned it without drawing reference to it 
Nobody knows. You, you walk, you have little faith, but you're keeping the word. I'll sit before you and, I'll sit before you and, open door. Right? You know why? And at the times care assailed my mind. Anxiety, worry, concern assailed my mind. But you know what? You have to rise up and say, now the verses must work. I cast all my care upon you because you care for me. Now the verses must work. Be anxious for nothing. Tell you never be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto, let your request be made known unto God. We must make some t-shirts. Anxiety-free zone. I am an, an anxiety, worry-free zone. Not, I don't have, not that I don't have concerns, that I'm going through stuff, but not a trace of worry. You know why it's very important you get the victory over this? You can have the most powerful word, but the thorn of care and anxiety will choke it. I'm just picturing, if we had made a movie of this scene, how would you picture Martha busy? Mentally, what's the mental state? Merimna, racked with care, racked with concern. I can picture maybe washing the dishes, baking the cake, baking the tea. But a mindset is totally disturbed. Look at the next condition, bothered. Or troubled. Jesus said two words. You are worried and you are troubled. Not by a few things. The Bible says by many, many, many things. Maybe I'm talking to someone here this morning. But the Lord wants to set you free. The Lord is making sure. What I see this morning. The Lord is making sure every little thing, every preventive prohibition. Pre- prohibition, sorry, from pre- that prevents you from positioning yourself at his feet must be dealt with. The word must work. The word must have its desired effect. Amen? Would make a vow, no more will I worry. <laughs> You're too scared to make it. No more will I be anxious. Psalm 112 says, Blessed is the man whose fear is in the Lord. He will not be afraid of bad news. Even if you get bad news, you're not going to be worried. Tell your neighbor, grow up, grow up, grow up. I want to grow up in this area. I do not want to have another day of anxiety. I do not, I got enough grace as you can see. I, I do not want to have another day where, yes, I got hectic needs, hectic things to see to. But my position is, I am anxious, I'm anxiety, anxiety free. I'm not anxious for anything. Right? I'm not worried about bothered check the next verse troubled who's troubled who's bothered even the even the greek word sounds bad tabazo like turbo tabazo or turbo it means to make turbo turbo is a lovely english word um it means to disturb to be troubled in the mind and to be disquieted please listen to me let me explain the backdrop to this word the greek the backdrop to Tabazo is this. It indicates that you are, uh, you worry for your life because your well-being and your welfare is being threatened. And the word is described as someone in the midst of a throng. A crowd, let's say in the midst of a crowd toy-toying with dangerous weapons and you are the focus. You're in the midst of a crowd, a throng, and you feel the threat of danger upon your life, your welfare, your well-being. This is the word tabazo. 
This is Martha's state of mind. Listen carefully. I think she, 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 she surmises like this. She thinks like this. I better do these preparations because these are going to ensure my well-being. I better do this because this will ensure my, my survival. That I'm well taken care of. She was preoccupied with activity. Her faith was in what she was doing to ensure survival, not in the word of the Lord which she should be hearing. All your successes will be in the word of the Lord. And I don't know what you may be feeling internally in terms of your own state of mind. Let me just say this. If you've never experienced these two dynamics, worry and trouble, at some stage you will. And you better learn how to deal with it. Your empowerment is going to be because of the word that you have received. It's going to keep you sane. It's going to keep you sober. Last page, page 11. Another word is used to describe Martha. Jesus uses three words. You are troubled. You are bothered. You are worried. And he uses this word. You are cumbered. He says, Martha, Martha, you're troubled and worried by many things. By many things. You're cumbered by many distractions. Look at this word cumbered. It means disoriented, distracted. It's perispu. Don't. <laughs> perispu. Cumbered. Look at the meaning. To draw away or to draw different ways at the same time. Have you ever seen a disoriented person? They're like drawn away in several directions simultaneously. Like you almost get dizzy. This is her state of mind. Martha, Martha, you are cumbered, Jesus. I can see your mental state. Look at the word. There's a word I, I, I put in here. I learned this from Anderson Williams in brackets there. It says to draw away the mind. And Anderson, uh, I'll never forget, he alluded to this condition of Martha in one of his sessions years ago. And he called it mental drift. Your mind is, 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 is fixated on too many things simultaneously. And he called it the psychological state of mental drift. Right? You have to be single-minded. The Bible says a double-minded man is, un, is unstable in, in all his ways. Have an objective and pursue it. Martha was distracted by many things, overburdened by various things. Various distractions. Read the last paragraph there with me. It says, The emphasis of this word cumbered is not the volume or the multitude of work as much as it is mental drift and distractions. There's a clamor for attention of our minds in our daily lives. This is true spiritual warfare. To quiet one's inner mind and to deliberately fixate one's thoughts to that which God is saying is a discipline that must be restored to the body of Christ. We give fleeting attention to his word and yet expect significant results in our lives. The word of God is the sobering principle. You want to break your disorientation. You want to bring sobriety and balance and a, a fixatedness to your mind. The word of God is your sobering principle. It keeps us focused and oriented as to what the will of the Lord is. Tell your neighbor, Choose the better part. Okay, let's close with it. The Bible says, Mary sat and she heard his word and Jesus said, 
You, Martha, Martha, distracted, cumbered, mental drift, drawn in several directions at the same time by so many things, but one thing is needful, and this girl, Mary, made a choice. A choice is a conscious, deliberate activity. You have to decide this morning, what, where are you going to live life? Are you going to live life in the kitchen, or are you going to live life at the feet? We need balance. In fact, the one thing empowers the other. Your ministries unto God, seated at His feet, empowers your ministry for God in the workplace. You can't have one without the, without the other. Just quickly, because of time, set means to position oneself near to another. Right? When it says she sat, she sat in close proximity to, to the Lord. She positioned herself in Nearness to the sound of his voice. Narrow the gap. I should have put this in. One of the Hebrew dictionaries actually says, narrowing the gap. She narrowed the gap between her and Jesus. It's about reducing distance. Sitting at his feet. And it says she heard, akuyo, to hear. You see that literally means to yield obedience to the voice. I shouldn't have stopped there. To, to make a decision. The point of Mary is this. Jesus comes into the household of faith. She says, I will not be lured or seduced by the call of many things that grasp for my attention. I'll make a choice. I'll quiet my soul. I'll sit at his feet. I will listen to his word. With the Bible here, listen, akoyo means to heal to the voice. Right? To heal obediently to the voice of that you hear. Set and to hear means I hear and I deliberately Design an obedient response to that which I have, to that which I have heard. Okay? I design an obedient response to that which, which I have heard. And Jesus said, this part is that which is, this part is that which is chosen. And Mary has chosen this better part, or this good part, which will not be extracted from her. Other things will be taken away from you. There's one thing that the enemy, no one in this world, will ever be able to extract and take away from you. It's those times and seasons when you've heard God speak. How many of you today are on a particular path or course of action because you heard God? It required a readiness to hear. God is saying profound things. He has been saying profound things to us. We all have to position ourselves to hear. Last scripture at the back. Psalm 27, verse 4. David said this. David was the most complex man I know. Most complex. Most burden. Most responsible. A lot of activity. A lot of things vying for his attention. He makes the statement. One thing have I asked of, from the Lord, and I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire, to meditate in his, his temple. David was complex. His hands were full of responsibility. Totally occupied. In the midst of all of this, he expresses his one needful thing. This one thing made him to be successful in all of his roles. The need to be in the house to make inquiry. Do not lose your impartational quality. Remain on the cutting edge, consistently positioning yourself under the sound 
of the voice. Strive and learn to permanently position yourself within His will. Fix your gaze upon His nature to engage in forensic examination of His will and His intent. This is the one thing David sought after. This principle is to be practiced privately in terms of your daily personal devotion and also publicly by meeting with other sons of God under the sound of one spiritual father who through the release of the word reveals God's beauty, character. I want to behold your beauty and his will. I want to inquire in your temple. It will answer your inquiry. It will satisfy your desire to see the beauty of the Lord. Amen.